Acts chapter 14. And this is where we'll find our text uh, for today. And we've been looking at the missionary journey, the first international mission trip of the church, if you would, as Paul and Barnabas and originally Mark uh, were sent out from the church in Antioch to Cyprus, and then they've gone north, and um, this is the, the journey that we're going to see today. As we look at this text, I want to ask you a question on the front end. What is your greatest goal in life? I know January you know, New Year's resolutions were a while back, okay? But I'm just saying, like, do you have a goal? Do you have a thrust for your life? I think for the Christian, our goal and our thrust should be what we find in 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all things to the glory of God. That should be the thrust of our life, that, that because we are redeemed by Christ, because we have a personal relationship with God through our Savior Jesus Christ, because we know His love and we see His hand and we have His Spirit, whatever we do, we want it to honor the Lord. We want to be found faithful. Faithful. Faithful should be the goal of a Christian. Faithful should be the, the goal of a church. We want to be found faithful. We want to be faithful to the things that God has shown us and revealed us through his word. We want to be faithful and we want to be obedient to those things that we might bring him honor and glory. Amen? That is what we desire. We desire, I've been quoting this verse over and over again as we've had so many godly men die from our presence. And be in prayer for Debbie Land. Her father, Ralph, passed away uh, just two days ago, and, uh, and so she is working on getting all of the arrangements and everything up in Tennessee. But another faithful man in our church, elderly man that has passed. And so I've been saying this verse and thinking about this verse over and over again from Matthew 25. Well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. And, and not only should the goal of the Christian be faithfulness, but but what we anticipate and what we desire is at the end we would hear, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into your master's rest. Not the other thing that we're told that individuals will hear, depart from me for I never knew you. We want to live lives as faithfulness. We want to live lives as servants as servants. What we see in this text today is we see an example, not only of missionaries, but we see an example of how we should live lives to be faithful servants of the Lord, no matter the situation, no matter where we go, that in all of our life, what we would want and what we would desire and what we would seek is whether I eat or drink or in all things that I do, I do all things for the glory of God. What are some marks that we can see from this text. That's what I would like to uh, think about. And, and the Bible, if we've got to think about this, we've got to reset our thinking when it comes to what we are in Christ. In the last 10 years, the concept of discipleship has become very popular in the church. And that is fantastic. We are to be disciples. We are to be followers. I like the word apprentices of Christ. 
seeking to follow him, to do what he does, to learn from him, to imitate him, and to do the ministry that he's called us to do. We absolutely are called to be disciples. But do you know what the number one word in the New Testament that Christians use to refer to themselves is? It wasn't Christians. Christians is only used twice in the New Testament. It's not disciple. Disciples used very often. But the number one way that an individual in the New Testament writing about themselves and their relationship to Christ, the word that they used, the picture that they used over and over again in the New Testament, over 120 times in the New Testament, is the word slave. That in our Bible is usually translated as servant. Doulos. A a household common slave. And that picture would have been important in that time and in that age. It's estimated that up to 20% of the Roman world, 20% of the Roman Empire's population were slaves. Now, that kind of slavery was very different than what we think of in slavery in America. It wasn't race-based. It was based on a number of factors. You could be made a slave because of indebtedness. We actually are slaves to indebtedness if you think about it today. But anyways... You you could be a slave to indebtedness. You could be a slave because you were part of an army that was conquered and taken over. There were many, many ways that you could be made a slave, that you could be put in subjugation of another person, and it was a very common thing. And and the idea is that the slave doesn't get to choose his life. The slave doesn't get the freedom. The slave doesn't seek his own agenda and his own honor and his own glory. The slave does that which the master commands. He's faithful. And over and over again, as you read the New Testament, you'll see in our modern translations in English the word servant and know that every time you see that word servant, that's the background. That's what they're comparing it to. Are we servants of Christ? Would we say I'm a slave to Christ? That I desire to do what he says? He is my master. He is my Lord. You see how all this language fits together with the concept and the idea of what they would have known as slavery in that world? And they saw themselves under Jesus, under his control, under his authority, there to do his will, to serve him, to serve his needs. And we too today are to think of ourselves as servants. As servants. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians this. He says, this is how one should regard us. As servants of Christ. Literally, as slaves of Christ. And stewards. A steward is one who, uh, who protects and, and uses but does not own something. As stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it was required of stewards that they be found faithful. And so our goal and our hope is that we would be faithful. As a church, as individuals, as a pastor, I pray that you would be faithful to Christ, that you would abide in him and whatever the Lord would have in your plan, because it's not my plans, but you would be faithful to that because you're his, not mine. That we would be faithful. So let's look at this text. I want to read the whole text. And then I have, I believe, six, six points that I made out of this that I think apply to this text. And we can see from the, the, the context and the ministry that they did. But there are also truths that apply to us today. And examples, if we want to be faithful, things that should mark our life as it marked 
hear Paul and Barnabas's. Acts chapter 14. Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up trouble, the Gentiles and with the, stirred up trouble the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord who bore witness to the word of grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and with their rulers. Oh, so some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and they fled to Lystra and Derbe, the cities of Lysonia, and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. Verse 8. Now, at Lystra, there was a man who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. And he listened to Paul speaking. And Paul, looking intently at him, and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw that what Paul had done, they lifted their voices in saying in Lysonian, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance of the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer a sacrifice with the crowd. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed up to the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of a nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In the past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave them without a witness, for he did good by giving you rains and from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. And even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering to them a sacrifice verse 19 but the jews from antioch and arconium and having persuade the, the jews came from antioch and arconium having persuaded the crowds they stoned paul and dragged him out to the city supposing that he was dead but when the disciples gathered around him he rose up and he entered into the city and on the next day he went on with barnabas to derby when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter into the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Verse 24, then they passed through Poseidon and Cade to Pamphylia, and when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Attila, and from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and the church gathered together, they declared all that God had done with them, and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles, and they remained no little time there with the disciples. A lot going on, isn't it? A lot going on. Uh, here we see 
about seven places, seven points of preaching, about 1,800 to 1,000 miles in travel, and almost a year of ministry of Paul and Barnabas. And what we see here is faithfulness. What we see here is an example of, of a faithful servant, how one is to be a servant to the Lord in any circumstance. And I, I want to share with you six points, I think, that we can get from this that are instructive to the text and instructive to us. The first is this. The overall point of all of this is a faithful servant points others to Christ. A faithful service servant points others to Christ. We're told here first of the work that they have in Iconium in verse 14. It says that they, they gathered in uh, Iconium together the Jew, at the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. This is a, a summary very much like we looked at last week in Acts chapter 13 where the first sermon of Paul is preached. Do you remember that? In Acts 13 we saw the first sermon of Paul when they were on the island of Cyprus. They have moved north from the island of Cyprus, now into Arconium, into this new region, and they're doing the same thing. The same strategy that we often see from Paul, the same scenario that we saw in chapter 13, and I would have to assume it's very close to the same message. They go into the synagogue on the Sabbath, they listen to the law as it's read and as it's taught, and then, as is the custom, when a traveling rabbi comes in, and Paul looks like a traveling rabbi, he had the credentials to be a traveling rabbi, and he's got men with him who look like they're his disciples. The leader of the synagogue turns and says, Brother Paul, do you have a word for us today? Have you ever been to a church that does that? <laughs> Just, do you have a word? Do you have a word? Sometimes it's great, and sometimes, woo! Um... But this was the tradition of the synagogue, and Paul knew it and used it as a strategy to reach others with the gospel. And so there's a synagogue there in Iconium. He comes in, he sits down, they offer for him to speak the word. He speaks the word, he preaches again the gospel, right? I, again, I believe it's going to be the same message in effect that we see in chapter 13. Not the same words, but the same foundation. Do you remember that foundation we talked about last week when we present the gospel? God, man, Christ, response so just in chapter 13 instead of saying every sermon luke just says that they preached the word and many believed if many are believing it's because they're preaching the gospel and again that foundation is is god there is a god he loves you he cares for you he created everything he made everything good he made man man sinned against god because of sin man's uh, man is born into sin he chooses things that God doesn't have for him. He disobeys God. He rejects God. He works against God. Because of this, God, he deserves God's wrath and his punishment. God is holy and man has sinned. That's the bad news of the good news. If it stopped there, it's only bad news. Some people stop at bad news. They just want to make people feel bad. Look at you. Look at the choices you've made. Do you realize why you're in the pit you are, why you're always like this? Some people stop there. Don't stop there. God, man, Christ. God, knowing that we were unable to save ourselves, knowing that we were separated from him, he sent his son, Jesus Christ. Holy man, holy God, born of a virgin, who came and lived a perfect life, lived the life that man could not live, went to the cross, rejected by his own, he was their savior and they rejected him. He went to the cross and on the cross he died. 
But he didn't just die. The blood of the Savior was the sacrifice that paid the debt for your sin. That you could be accepted by God. Your sin was judged on Jesus. Response. You've got to trust in Christ personally and believe in him and you will be saved. Anyone who will believe this message, who will trust in faith, God will save. Do you believe? Do you want to follow Christ? Do you want to make him your Lord and Savior? Will, will you be his slave? Will you live for him? He will save you. That's the message, right? That's the message that, that Paul preaches. That's the message that we preach. That's the message throughout the Bible. And, and again, I challenge you to look whenever the gospel is presented and, and see if that framework is wrong. I think that framework is right on for us to think about how to share the gospel with others. God, man, Christ, and response. And it has to be God, man, Christ, response. But if we understand that framework, then we can share the gospel in any situation, even if they don't have a synagogue. That's what we'll see in the next series. So they're faithful. Wherever they go, they point to Christ. Wherever they go, they're preaching the word. In all seven of these cities that are listed, they're going, they're proclaiming the word, and they're preaching the gospel, and people are coming to faith because their, their hearts are being opened up to the word of God that they've never heard. They're being exposed to a Jesus that they've never known, and they're receiving salvation like they've never experienced. Isn't that wonderful? And, and, and the whole time, everywhere where they go, whether they're beat, whether they're ran out, whether they're listened to, whether they're not, whether they're worshipped, whether they're stoned. They just keep pointing to Jesus. Even when they want to point to them. And that, that's what we see in, in Lystra. So they move to, they go to Lystra, and there in, in Lystra they, they heal a man. This is very similar to Acts chapter 3, if you remember. Acts chapter 3, 4, 5 all kind of come out of this scenario where they walk into the temple and there's a man who's lame from birth and they heal him. Remember that? And then they're arrested, they're let go, they're arrested. All of this because of this incident that happened originally with this man as they walk into the temple. Well, here, they walk into the city. He's been preaching. There's no, and then notice this. He didn't go to a synagogue. There probably wasn't a synagogue in Lystra. And so Paul's method had to change. His message didn't change, but his method changed. Here, he's open-air preaching. There's no synagogue to go into on the Sabbath and then give an open opportunity to begin to share the gospel. Instead, he just begins open-air preaching. And there's a, a man here who's never walked. Very similar scenario to Acts chapter 3. He's never walked. And, and he, Paul looks at him, sees that he's believing the message of Jesus Christ and says, get up. And he gets up and the town freaks out. And so here he is in this pagan town. They see that this man is healed. They have to attribute it to divine power. But the divine power that they attribute it to is to the work of the Greek gods. Because that's what they knew. And so here they, 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 uh, <laughs> they, they call Barnabas Zeus. And they call Paul Hermes. Hermes was the spokesman for Zeus, so that's probably why they did that. And they tell the, it gets to the priest, and all this is happening in a language that they don't understand. They're like all getting busy doing stuff, and they're like, what is going on, right? 
And they finally find out what they're doing. They'd gone to the priest. The priest is about to make a sacrifice because there was a, there was a tradition or folklore that if the gods visited you and you didn't sacrifice to them, then they would judge you. And so here they think that these men are gods, and so they're going to sacrifice to them. And, and Paul and Barnabas, they are freaked out. Don't do this! We are men just like you. It's amazing. It says they could hardly restrain them from sacrificing for them. Did you catch that? Like they were, they were so apt to it that they could hardly restrain them. Here's the amazing thing. These men who were worship, worshiping them as gods, who they could hardly restrain to not make a sacrifice to the pagan gods on their behalf, in just a few chapters, they're stoning them. Now my second title for this sermon was going to be Worshiping gods and getting stoned. But I want you to see that in all of this, they point to Christ. Even when the limelight gets turned on them, they could have said, you know, this is a great platform. Let them, let them worship us for, as gods for a little bit. Let them make their sacrifice to their pagan, no-deal gods. And then they'll love us so much that we can share the truth. But they couldn't do that. They couldn't receive that kind of glory. They couldn't receive that kind of knowledge. They said, no, 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 not us, Christ. We need more John the Baptists who would say, the one who is coming, I'm not fit to untie his sandal. Let all of our lives point to Christ and not ourselves. In this world that tells us that we need to build our own platforms, we need to make a name for ourselves, we need to become famous in, in whatever way that it might be, that it might cre create a better platform. And, and there's, a, there's a Christian way to look at this, that you know, if, if people like me more, then, then maybe I can say more about Jesus. Well, that's a big dark hole, and I'll tell you, look at people who are famous who started talking about Jesus and see what usually happens. It's not long before they really like the limelight is it and so here we see to be a faithful servant we point to christ not to ourselves the direction to which we point people is to christ because we are his servant a slave doesn't get recognition second a faithful servant proclaims the gospel despite persecution I've already given some of this away, but we see first here, I mean, they go to Iconium because they were ran out of Cyprus, and so then they go to Iconium, and, and they're preaching there and having great success, and they learn that they're about to be stoned, and so then they move to Lystra, about 20 miles away, and then in Lystra, they begin preaching Paul is stoned. I don't know if you caught this, but Paul is stoned. They drag him out of the city, and they leave him for dead. Now, why do you think they left him for dead? Because they thought he was dead. Many commentators believe that this is a miraculous resurrection of Paul himself. They would have understood if somebody's breathing or not. Stoning to the point of death is not something easy, right? If you're stoned even just close to death, I mean, you can throw a pebble at me and it's going to hurt. Paul is stoned to the point that they think that he's dead. They drag him out of the city and they leave him for dead because they think that he's dead. 
And yet, do you notice what he's doing the next day? He's walking to the next town. The disciples come and they gather around him. And, and, and what, what many commentators believe, and it, it could very well be the case, God did something miraculous here, whether or not it's because of this or not. Some commentators believe that the disciples gather around, they pray for Paul. Paul is resurrected, basically, and, and then he's healed, and they go to the next city. But Luke doesn't talk about it because, again, Paul doesn't want himself to be the center of attention. They don't even, like, drag this out, right? It's just a common thing. They stoned him and left him for dead. He got up the next day and walked to the next town. Oh, wait! <laughs> more that happened here but again Paul didn't want to be the limelight and I think that's part of the reason why it's written that way but Paul also didn't fear persecution for the sake of the gospel he's stoned nearly to death here in Lystra he goes to Derby. again there's more problems everywhere Paul goes. I mean, it's basically this. This, this, is, this is Paul's ministry in a nutshell, okay? Let's go to a city, let's hit the synagogue, let's preach the gospel, and let's run away in secret before they kill me, <laughs> right? Just, just put in the different name of the city at the first point, and that's pretty much how it all goes, and yet he still goes and preaches the gospel because he realizes the precious cost of the gospel, and he realizes the precious need that people have for the gospel. Friends, I think we've forgotten about that. We, we don't want to share the gospel, not because we're going to get stoned in the street here, not because we're going to be murdered, not really because we're going to be uh, isolated from our families many times like people around the world. We simply just don't want people not to like us. We're afraid that they won't like us. They might treat me different. They're cool if they know that I'm a Christian and they see me do Christian stuff, but I don't want to tell them about Christian stuff because then, you know, they won't be cool with me. Do you realize the pettiness of that? Do you realize that that is not the position of a slave? That's not the position of a servant? That's the position of someone who seeks their own glory. I'm just laying it out there. It is, isn't it? And beyond that, we forget the need of those people who we want to think so well of us. The need for them to trust in the gospel or they will spend eternity in hell. We forget about that. And yet we, we care what they think, but we don't care about their souls. He wasn't afraid of persecution. Friends, we need to not be afraid of persecution. But even more so, we... We, not, we need not need to be afraid of just not being liked. Now, I'm not saying to go out and be a jerk. But go and speak the truth in love. Build relationships with, with people that you know, people that are in the rhythms of your life already, who God has placed in your life, with your family members, with your neighbors, with your friends, with your coworkers, and simply, as God opens the opportunity, be bold to tell them about God, man, Christ, response. And see what God does. Third, a faithful servant promotes the spiritual growth of others. A faithful servant promotes the spiritual growth of others. So it seems as though from this passage, what they do is they go out and then they come back. And so, so far on the preaching of the gospel, that has been the, that has been the, that's been the trip out 
And now they're going to begin the trip back. And it's amazing, again, they don't fear persecution. They go right back to those same towns again. And they go back to those same towns because they have a burden, not just for people to get saved, but for people to be established in the Lord and in healthy churches. That's why they go back. That's why they face being killed again is because they have a desire for all of those people that accepted the Lord, all of those people who Christ transformed, all of those people who just became followers of Jesus, that they would grow in Jesus. And so that's what it says here. We, we often think that Paul only went around preaching the gospel, but Paul preached the gospel and sought to establish churches. Missionaries are to be evangelists, but they're also to see that the people have a community to grow in that they might be built up in the Lord as they go. Missionaries that just go preach the gospel and then leave, that's not, that's not what we need. We need people that will preach the gospel and help establish churches, local churches of local people, that the gospel proclamation and the gospel work that's there can continue and people can grow into the Lord. And the goal and the hope is that those people who receive the gospel, they'll be the ones now to share the gospel and to establish churches. That makes sense? And so we need evangelism and we need discipleship. We need both. And that's what we see here. You look at verse 22. It says that they returned to these cities, strengthening the souls of the disciples and encouraging them to continue in the faith, saying, through many tribulations we must enter into the kingdom of God. Now, we don't know what the exact situations are, but I think from this text we can anticipate that the people that stoned Paul and ran him off, they probably weren't happy with the people that converted to Christianity either, were they? They probably were persecuting this young, small church, these bands of believers that had just received Christ. And still, this is true today. You might not have the Jewish synagogue gather up and persecute you if you come to Jesus, but Satan knows that the best time to persecute a Christian is when they're a new believer. Remove them from the fellowship of the church. Remove them from a desire to serve the Lord. Remove them from the teaching of the word of God. Convict them of their sin over and over and over again. You think Jesus could save you of that? You know what you did there? You're still doing these things. You think Jesus has saved you? That's the battle of a new believer, isn't it? We've got to remember that. That's the battle of a new believer. And, and Paul and Barnabas, they go back to these towns where these new believers are, where they're facing persecution, where they're facing attacks of men and attacks of the devil. And they come back and they teach them, they strengthen them, encourage them, saying, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. You didn't get saved and expect everything to be all roses and unicorns. You're a servant. And sometimes a servant's life is hard. But God is with you. These trials, these tribulations, these are how God is making himself known to you. This is how God is removing sin from your life. This is the work of sanctification. Keep at it. Don't give up. Keep faithful. Keep serving. He cares about the spiritual growth of others. We too should encourage others. We too should seek to encourage believers that they continue. And, and the reality of it is, is sometimes we forget early on our spiritual life was kind of like a roller coaster, don't we? Woo! Right? Ups and downs. 
And we look at others and we forget that we were there. Friends, we always want to encourage people in the Lord. Anyone, the, 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 as a pastor, this is, this is kind of my rule of thumb. As I speak with an individual who's struggling, I look for this one thing. Are they convicted of their sin? Do they realize that, that in their struggling, that in fighting whatever temptation this is, do they realize that there is sin involved and that they're trying to fight this? And as long as they realize that, I, I, I want to fan the flame of Christ in them. I want to encourage them to press on. I want to encourage them through many trials and many tribulations. You must enter into the kingdom of God. You can overcome this. We're here to help you. We will pray for you. We'll disciple you. We'll do whatever we can to help you. That's different from the individual that's like, yeah, I don't care anymore, right? That person needs God, man, Christ response. You need to trust and believe in the gospel. And so they go through and they begin to encourage them. We too should encourage others in the faith. Fourth, a faithful servant prioritizes church health. Faithful servant prioritizes church health. Look at verse uh, 23 of chapter 14 here. They're traveling back. They're on the disciple. They went on the evangelism tour. Now they're on the discipleship tour. On the way back, verse 23, it says that they go and they appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting. They realize the importance of not only evangelizing, of not only discipling, but of organizing a church, a local body, where the ministry of Christ can be carried out, where people can belong, and where they can grow, and they can serve, and they be together. You know, Jesus' Jesus's intention is that we would be part of a church. That we'd be part of a local body, a place where there, we would be accountable, a place that we would serve, a place where we could use our gifts with other believers. There is no such thing in the New Testament as a maverick Christian. Even Paul himself, who's a missionary going all over the world. You might say, well, Paul, he, he wasn't at church. He was starting churches. He, he worshiped God on his own as he went. Well, at the end of this text, where does he end up? Back at Antioch that sent him out. He was an emissary of that church and goes back to that church because he found accountability, fellowship, and belonging in a local body. If you're a Christian, you're called to be a part of a church. It's like saying you play on a basketball. You play basketball without a team. It's like saying that you're a soldier without an army or a bee without a hive. And so they go. Here it says they appoint elders. God has called uh, there's three words that in Baptist life, we often say pastor. There's three words in the New Testament that are used interchangeably. Elder, bishop, or overseer, and pastor. All three of those words are used interchangeably for the office that Christ calls men to serve as under-shepherds in a local body. And Paul cared greatly that men were picked and they were chosen and they were put in, in place to oversee that there might be teaching and faithfulness in these local bodies that had been established. And so too, we should care about the health of a local church. Not, not necessarily about the attendance of a local church, but about the health of a local church. There's a lot of buildings with steeples that no longer really act as churches. And they might even be full. We want to be faithful, right? Faithful. And so here they establish faithful churches. Fifth, a faithful servant participates with others in ministry. 
participates with others in ministry. Again, ministry is not maverick. Why do they care about the local church? Because they realize the importance and the need of the local church. Uh, Paul comes to faith in Christ, and there he's in Damascus, and he's around a local church. It's them that confirm upon him, baptize him, send him out, view what he's doing, stand, in, stand for testimony for him to another church as he goes to Jerusalem, that he actually is a believer. And then he goes with Barnabas and establishes the church in Antioch. The Antioch church has a burden to send men out. The Holy Spirit puts a call upon Barnabas and Paul, and they're sent out and supported by that church. And then again, at the end, they're going to go back and they're going to report to that church because they understand that the Christian life and Christian ministry is done within a body. And we've got to recover this in our day, in our age. There are a lot of great parachurch organizations, but there are a lot that are very scary. And we've seen that in the news. If you just look at some of the biggest parachurch organizations over the last few years and financial abuse, spiritual abuse, and sin that have rocked some of these organizations. And I'm not saying that doesn't happen in churches, but I'm saying if you remove the accountability of a local church from a ministry, it's very likely to happen. Because that's not God's design. And so here we see the cooperation. Again, we're to be a part of a local body. And within that, again, what you see is you see not only accountability of Paul to the local body, but look at the last verse here in, in Verse 28, they go back to Antioch, they report to Antioch all that had happened, and it says they remain no little time with the disciples. So, so here, I, I, I hope I'm not reading into this too much, but it, it's almost like they've had this very hard year and a half journey. They go back to their people, to their home, where they're loved, and the church now is ministering to them. The church now is serving them, that they can spiritually recharge and recover and be ready for the next thing that God will have for them, which is going to be going to Jerusalem and then the second missionary journey, the bigger one. But you see that? You see how the, the accountability works in two ways. Not only are they accountable to the church, but the church is accountable to them and to their spiritual health and to their spiritual nourishment. And if you're not part of a local church, you don't have that. You don't have that. And you can wander all day long and you don't have people to hold you accountability. And sometimes you like that. Because you want to wander. But that's not what the Lord would have for us. Last, a faithful servant praises God for what he does through him. Now, this is similar to the first point that I made where they wouldn't allow them to make uh, sacrifices to greet gods for them. And they said, we are men just like you. But this is a little bit different. This is them uh, talking before believers is, is what I want to bring out in this. So if you look at verse 27, again, they, they come together, they tell of what they've done. And it says, they tell of all the things that God had done with them, how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. You see this? They don't come back and be like, <laughs> oh, let me tell you about what I did. You ever heard of Lystra? They got big rocks there. I know about them. I got stoned there, right? <laughs> That's not what he does. That's not how he comes out. But he comes back and he says, look at what God has done through us. He talks about the grace of God as the grace of God has been extended as they had gone out, and again, you have a, a heart and an attitude there 
uh, of accountability, of mutualness, of not trying to up one another, of caring for one another, of ministering one another, is speaking to other servants about what the master has done through you. And so this whole passage and the whole Christian life, I think, is framed by this realizing the position that we're in, that we're to be faithful servants. When we do that, it changes things. This is healthy not just in a church, not just in your own spiritual life. This is healthy in your relationships. You you know when a relationship really works? When both people try to serve each other. Not one person try to get their way and the other person have to serve every need that they have constantly. Or each trying to serve their own way and not caring about what the other thinks, only thinking about how they're not serving them enough. But when you care more about serving Christ and care more about the, the needs of what the other person has, things change. It changes in personal relationships. It changes in marriages. It changes in families. It changes in the church. When you can come into the church and, and you can come into worship and not think about, well, are they going to play the music that I like today? Right? Music in the church is the one thing that people want the music in the church to be what they like, but they want the preaching to be about what someone else needs. But imagine if we come together and says, what, what does the body need? What do we need? Who, who are we? How can I serve others? That changes everything. And that's what we see in the lives of Paul and Barnabas. That's what we've seen in the lives of many men in this church who have recently passed, of which we've said, well done, good and faithful servant. And I hope that that would be the call of us as well, that we would live to seek to be a faithful servant. That would be the goal of our life in Christ, that, that we would know him first of all, that we would personally trust in Christ for salvation. Have you done that? Then, that, that we would live in a way where we would seek to point others to Christ. We would remember uh, God, man, Christ response as we enter in conversations with others, as we pray for others. That we would be faithful no matter what persecution might come. That, that we would care more about the soul of an individual rather than if they like me or not at the end of the day. That we would promote the spiritual growth of others, particularly those who are weak in the faith, those who are new, or new in the faith, those who are struggling with spiritual things, that instead of being judgmental and hard, we would seek to encourage them in the Lord. That we would prioritize the spiritual health of the church, prioritize and take seriously the organization and the ministry and the leadership of the church and submit to that that we would participate with others in ministry, that we would be a part uh, of a local body, and that, that we would be a part of the ministry. And last, that in all things, we would seek to live to give glory to God. Not our own platform, not ourselves, but in everything that we do, we would seek to glorify God. What a great lesson I think that is of what it means to be a faithful servant. We all want to be faithful. How can we put these things in our life?